Good morning, church. As Barb mentioned, we're coming to the end of 1 Corinthians this morning. Um, and as most letters end, Paul finishes off with some uh, you know, wrapping up, final greetings, final instructions. But um, as Paul does, he always adds a little bit extra. So if you'd like to um, open or turn on your Bibles, um, 1 Corinthians 16, it'll also be on the screen behind me. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while, or even spend the winter, so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me. And there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. For he is carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. No one, then, should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace, so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now about a brother, Apollos. I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labours at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus and Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord. The grace of the Lord be with you all. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Darren. Good morning, everyone. My name's Coops, one of the pastors here at Trinity Church Modbury. And uh, good morning to everyone at home, might be watching from the lounge. And I um, want to add my welcome, too, to Barb's, to everyone here that's new or just visiting. It's wonderful to have new people uh, amongst us joining our church family. So welcome to everyone. Great to be up here speaking to you from the, from the Bible again. Now, if you've got your Bibles there and you could keep it open at 1 Corinthians 16, that would be greater on your devices. You can check what I'm saying and follow through um, as, we, as we take a look at this passage. So let's pray as we begin. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for your message of these last few weeks, the hope of resurrection and new life. And Father, please help us now to hear your message in this closing section of 1 Corinthians. And Father, we pray that you'd help us apply it to ourselves this week. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been reading the news this week, you've probably read about uh, the World War II hero that's just been recognised. Did you read about that guy? Teddy Sheehan was his name. He was just 18, enlisted in the Navy in the Second World War, and he was a, a sailor on the HMAS Armadale. So here's a picture of the, the ship down the, on the bottom left, bottom left on both screens, and Teddy there, a picture of him as well. So he'd enlisted, he was a sailor on the HMAS Armadale, and the Armadale set out from Darwin, was heading up to Timor. And there was a surprise attack. These enemy planes came screaming out of the sky, covered the ship with bullets, sprayed the ship, and they dropped torpedoes, and the ship was damaged, and it started to sink. And so Teddy ran to launch the lifeboat. So you can imagine this scene, right? There's chaos. People are crowding into these lifeboats. People are jumping over the side of the ships to avoid the bullets directly into the sea. But the planes kept coming in over and over again. And so Teddy, he turns away from the lifeboats and he runs back to his gun. There's a painting there. He straps himself back in and he fires back at these planes. And he did it because he was defending his crewmates. And he did it until the ship sank and it took Teddy with him. Took Teddy with it. And just this week, Scott Morrison's recommended that he be awarded Australia's highest military honour for that brave action, the Victoria Cross. So it was an extraordinary thing that Teddy did, wasn't it? It was an extraordinary and an important thing that Teddy did. So he saw his role as something bigger than himself. You know, in the midst of all that chaos and all that danger to operate that gun and support his shipmates. And he sacrificed dearly for it. Because he died. He gave up his life. And it's really tangible, isn't it? Because we see these pictures, like we see this painting here, and we read the first-hand accounts that were written down in the 1940s, and we know that they're fact. And so we believe it. And over the last couple of weeks, we've heard from 1 Corinthians 15, haven't we? That chapter in this letter to the Corinthians. And we've heard how the resurrection of Jesus is a fact that it was also written down from first-hand accounts. And we've heard that the resurrection proves the truth that Jesus died, taking on himself what we deserve for ignoring God, our Creator, and that he rose again. And that it proves God's promise that if we trust what Jesus did, God forgives us and he gives life, everything restored to the right order of things. And right at the end there of chapter 15, the Apostle Paul talks about the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58, up on the screen there, it says, Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. And that's the springboard into this chapter 16 that was just read to us, where the Apostle Paul makes it clear that God's given the people in Corinth a role to play in the work of the Lord. And it's the same role that we have, actually, as God's people. 
to do the work of the Lord and to support others who are doing the work of the Lord. We have the same role. And the truth of the resurrection and the defeat of death, well, it makes that work of the Lord very real. And it makes our role in that work of the Lord very important, very important that we understand what it is and that we fulfill our role in the work of the Lord. Because like Teddy, we have a role. Teddy was committed to what he did. It didn't matter what it cost him. He stayed and he fulfilled his role. And unlike Teddy, we may not have to sacrifice our lives, although many have. But our role in the work of the Lord will take sacrifice just the same. And so this is the thought I'd like us to hold in our heads as we look at this chapter 16. Because of the gospel, the gospel being Jesus dying in our place and rising again, bringing forgiveness and life through faith, that's the gospel. Because of that, we've been privileged to play our part in the work of the Lord. So are we willing to play that role, knowing that it will mean sacrifice? That's the question I'd like us to hold in our minds as we dive into the passage. Are we willing to play our role, knowing that it will mean sacrifice? So hang on to that thought. And then I'd like to look at this passage in three points. I'm going to give those to you just to help follow along. So we'll be looking at unity and sacrifice in the work of the Lord. And we'll do it in these three parts. Doing the work of the Lord, that's the first point. Sacrificed in the work of the Lord, that'll be our second point. And then our final point, unity in the work of the Lord. So the first point, doing the work of the Lord. Well, as I said, we're at the end of this letter to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians. And we get this rapid fire set of instructions from Paul, right? He gives all these instructions and these travel plans. And what it describes is doing and supporting the work of the Lord. So what is that? What is the work of the Lord? Well, we get a hint of it here in in verse 10, where Paul says that both Timothy and Paul, both of them, are doing the work of the Lord. And if we look carefully at it, we can see a couple of things that gives us an idea of what they're up to. Firstly, Paul describes his plans. So if you remember there in verse 5, Paul says that he's going to go via Macedonia on his way to Corinth. Now you can see it there, I hope, on the map. You've got Ephesus there in modern-day Turkey, so that's where Paul is writing this letter. And you can see Corinth there in modern-day Greece. It's not really the most direct route, is it, to go via Macedonia? I mean, he could have jumped on a ship and headed straight across. But no, he's going to take the long way around. And if you remember in verse 8, he also said he's going to stay in Ephesus for a bit because the door's open for some effective work for him to do. See, this is all missionary activity that Paul's up to. And we know from this letter and from other things that Paul wrote in the Bible that he's up to missionary activity. He's traveling massive distances. He's proclaiming the gospel as he goes, seeing people converted to know Jesus, and he's establishing churches. So no surprises there. Part of doing the work of the Lord is evangelizing and speaking the gospel to others. That's part of doing the work of the Lord. And Timothy is coming across to the church in Corinth because of what Paul wrote way back in chapter 4. If you remember, it's up on the screen here. So Timothy's on his way and he's coming to remind the people in Corinth of the way of life in Christ. He's coming to remind them 
what it means to live as followers of Jesus. So he's, he's coming to build them up in the word. You remember the Corinthians, all the way through this letter, they've struggled with division, immorality, selfishness, greed. So Timothy is being sent to help them grow and mature as Christians. He's coming to help them see where their lives should change because of Jesus, the difference that Jesus makes to their lives now. So he'll be helping guide and grow them in Christian maturity. So that is also part of doing the work of the Lord, growing in Christian maturity. And as a broader application of doing the work of the Lord, in the first part of the passage, Paul urged the Corinthians to give financially, didn't he, to the church in Jerusalem? And not only that, he wants them to help send him and Timothy on once they've each visited Corinth. So you can see there in verses 6 and verses 11, I've bolded the words there because where it says help me and there it says send him, so, you know, Paul's going to visit, then help send me on my journey. Timothy's going to visit, send him on his way. Both of those words in the original language mean it's the same word, assist in the journey. Corinth is to assist both of them as they send them onwards. These are the things that are needed to support them as they do the work of the Lord. So this sort of gives us a feel, doesn't it, for what Paul's talking about when he talks about doing the work of the Lord, speaking the gospel, strengthening God's people, and supporting those who are doing those activities. And those words, the work of the Lord, I think it's worth just dwelling on those words actually just for a moment because it's doing the work of the God who created everything which just makes it pretty extraordinary doesn't it like his plan is that his people Paul Timothy you and me we've been given a place in God's plan to do his work which is an amazing privilege Like, God doesn't need us. Like, he created all of this. But he's given us a place in his plan to be part of it, just the same. So we're saved and we're restored to God through Jesus, yes, but actually we're working with him, working to do the work of the Lord. But as the passage goes on to show us, doing the work of the Lord does come at some cost, and that brings us to our second point, sacrifice in the work of the Lord and so the passage goes on and it shows us that participating in the work of the Lord is going to be personally costly it will cost us and since the work of the Lord isn't complete until the last day this is not a short-term cost and I reckon short-term cost often we're pretty good at that do you remember the bushfires on the east coast uh, and here last summer I was living in, we were living in Sydney, me and my family, uh, last year, and the fires had taken hold just a bit north of the city. And this is a photo here that's up on the screen of a suburb called Taramara. It's about 11 minutes by car away from where we were living. And I was studying for final exams. So can you imagine that, right? I had the fire app on my phone and I was watching the fire getting closer and I was thinking, this is going to be a major issue if we have to evacuate. Not just because it's a fire, but because I've got final exams. And I was thinking, what's on the must-take list? Study notes, textbooks, wife, kids, backup hard drive, study notes, textbook. Like it was like that. 
And do you remember the response for the community or from the community during all of that? It was amazing, wasn't it? There was volunteers, there was money. Everybody worked together sacrificially. And it was just wonderful actually to watch, except when it was 11 kilometers away from my house. But the effort that went in was amazing. And then after this one big event over the summer, it was over. And I wonder, do we look at long-term sacrifice a little bit differently to that? You know, long-term, the personal cost tends to get counted in a different way. Uh, Here's an example. It was on a news site recently. There was a story of a young mother in her 30s here in Australia. She'd been married for 10 years, had kids. And she decided that the personal cost to being married full-time and mothering full-time was going to be too high. She was still young. It was a long road, really, until life sort of freed up a bit for her. And in this account that she wrote, she gave no reason other than convenience. And so she left the family home. She left her marriage. And now she part-time parents because the personal cost to do all of that full-time over all of those years was going to be too much. There's an example there, maybe an extreme example, but there's an example of counting the long-term cost and the sacrifice that goes with it and turning away from it. And so we should realise that the work of the Lord is long-term and it is sacrificial. Let's have a look at verse 2 and the sacrifice that verse 2 talks about. Verse 2 in our passage says, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Well, at this time, the church in Jerusalem is, uh, is suffering, they're struggling, and there's a number of poor people in the church. And Corinth is a rich port city. And so Paul here is saying, look, I want you to give sacrificially to support the church in Jerusalem, to support the work of the Lord. And he suggests, you know, collect the money regularly. Right? Do that every week. Don't just, no mad scramble when I turn up. No, no, do it regularly. That's a calculated act of generosity that comes from a cheerful heart, and that's Christian giving. And he suggests, actually do that in line with your income. This is a sustainable long-term sacrifice if it's done that way, as income goes up, as income goes down, so the giving changes with it. And actually doing it that way reflects the way that it's given to us, doesn't it, if you think about it that way? It is a personal cost, of course it is, but maybe not quite in the same way that we think about it. Because if we believe that God created and he provided everything to us, then God provided it in the first place. So it's not ours. Not really, when you think of it in those terms. It's passing on what God has given So that's Paul's sacrificial financial request. But that's not the only sacrifice. Paul, in verses 6 and 7, you know, it's clear from these verses, Paul wants to spend time with them. He wants to get to Corinth. He doesn't want to make a passing visit. He wants to spend some time there. There's genuine affection, and he wants to help them grow in their understanding of God. He'll be doing the work of the Lord while he's there. And there is sacrifice on both sides, actually, because he knows after this extended visit that he wants to make that he has to leave. And they're going to help him on his way with money, food, provisions, maybe travelling companions. We know they did that. 
And that is sacrificial, isn't it? On a couple of levels. Yes, financially, but relationally as well. There's no doubt, we would think the Apostle Paul's a great Bible teacher, right? So imagine he walked in the back doors there into our church. I reckon we'd want to hang on to him for as long as we could. But throughout this passage, there's this description, people coming and people going, people coming, people being sent out, and it all takes sacrifice, financial, personal and relational. But actually, all of that is still giving out of what God has already provided. Did you notice there at the end of verse 7, I've just bolded the words, I hope to spend some time with you, Paul writes, if the Lord permits. See, it does take sacrifice for the Corinthians to send Paul off and all of the others that come and visit and build relationship and off they go. It does take sacrifice, but the time that they spend there is given by God anyway. Did you notice that? It'll happen if the Lord permits. So to send them off is to give out from what God has already provided. And as Stephen said in our All Ages spot, we've done that recently, haven't we? We sent off Trinity Church Paraka last week, and that's a sacrifice. All of those relationships that we had and that we would refresh every Sunday... The extra serving that those of us need to do to fill the gaps as they've gone. The financial support that we provide to them for a time. This is all sacrifice, but we're supporting the work of the Lord in Paraka. And it was God that gave us those people in the first place. They were here for a time and raising up Scott and Pip and Ada as leaders in the church. That's what God did. And so we sent them off last week, and yes, it was a sacrifice, but actually, we were giving out of what God had given to us, doing the work of the Lord. And notice the sacrifices that Paul himself makes here as he does the work of the Lord. Now, I mentioned it earlier in verse 5, he wants to spend time with the Corinthians, but he won't take the direct route, no, he's not going to go express, he's going to go the long way around through Macedonia. And then in verse 8, as I mentioned, he wants to get to Corinth and he's going to do it via Macedonia, but hang on a minute, no, I'm going to delay and stay in Ephesus for a bit longer because there's opportunity to do the work of the Lord, even though he'll be opposed. See, that's a sacrifice that we will all face as we share the gospel, often opposed, often rejected. I was uh, talking to a guy this week, uh, midweek, and he said he was a committed atheist, so he, he doesn't believe that there's a God. And as we sort of dug into the conversation a bit, he knew his Bible really well. He said to me, I've read it five times. And I said, that's fantastic. Were you exploring Christianity? He said, no, I was exploring atheism. And I said, okay. And he said, how well do you know you're Greek? And I said, oh, it's all right. And he knew it and actually he could recite it. It was amazing. And we spoke about creation and evolution and where good came from, why the Gospel of John talks about the Word. And I was never in any physical danger through this conversation like the Apostle Paul often is. But this guy was pretty direct. He was in my face and it was pretty passionate. So it was a really good conversation. And the thing is, speaking about Jesus will generate that sort of reaction sometimes. It does. 
and it feels costly and it's sacrificial, you know, putting yourself out there over and over again and being open to criticism. But Paul says here in verse 14, do everything in love. And that's love, isn't it? Telling people who don't know, who don't want to know, but they need to know that there is life through Jesus. <laughs> they need to know that. And it might cost a bit of pride, it might cost a bit more than that, it might cost a lot more than that. But that's doing the work of the Lord. Now finally, I'd like us to consider unity in the work of the Lord. And what we'll see here is that the work of the Lord, actually, it's a team sport. We do it together. And when I say unity, I don't mean between people or churches that gloss over the gospel. I mean unity in the one true gospel. And since the work of the Lord, by definition, that's his work, it's given by him and it's done for him, well, just in that, there's great unity, isn't there? I thought I'd try and explain it like this, uh, with this, with this story. I had a washing machine once. In fact, I still have one, but I had a different washing machine once. And for those of you who've always wanted to know what the inside of a washing machine looks like, this is it. The day has come. I've shown you the parts of a washing machine. This is a bracket that's on the back of uh, the washing machine drum. It's called a spider arm. And I learned it was called a spider arm because ours was broken. And it was uh, all sort of shaking around. And I rang the manufacturer because we were way out of warranty and um, they sent around a technician to investigate the problem with our washing machine. Which, and they didn't charge me for it, so I was really appreciative of that. So who did I feel most thankful towards? I felt very thankful towards the technician, that's for sure. But actually more towards the manufacturer because they had sent the technician out and the technician was doing the work of the manufacturer. So I'm trying to draw a parallel. If someone's doing the work of the Lord and it benefits us, we are thankful to them. Of course we are. But ultimately, it was given to them by the Lord and they're doing it for the Lord and we receive that work from the Lord. So ultimately, we're thankful to God and there is a unity in that between us. What about when we don't feel that thankful? What about the the opposite? Remember back in uh, verses 10 and 11 of this chapter 16, Paul's sending Timothy to Corinthians and he specifically says to them, you know, I want you to look after this guy. Treat him well. It seems odd, doesn't it? He's coming to pay them a visit after all. Why does he tell the Corinthians to look after Timothy? Well, the reason is found back in chapter 4. Timothy is going to remind the Corinthian church what Paul has taught them. And some of those things actually are going to be very opposite to the things that the Corinthians are getting up to. Sexual immorality, greed, division, selfishness. So I bet they're not going to like some of the things that Timothy has got to tell them. They might not like hearing some of these truths that Timothy is going to put in front of them. But he's doing the Lord's work. And he's doing it in love. So they need to hear it. And I reckon all of us, you, me, all of us at different times, 
have either heard or we're going to hear someone who's doing the Lord's work, who's telling the truth in love, and we might not like it too much. It could be a part of the Bible that we're struggling with, might be an application to our lives that we don't like too much. But the work of the Lord, spoken in love, and that's something, by the way, that all of us Christians do, that work, whether we like it or not, is always for our benefit. Ultimately, it's about being saved to be with the Lord, to be with God. And so Paul here, he's urging unity and respect for those who are doing the work of the Lord. But note here too, it doesn't mean we have to agree on everything. We have to agree on the gospel, that's for sure. But we can still be united and not agree on absolutely everything. Did you notice there in verse 12, it's just up on the screen, Paul strongly urged Apollos to go to Corinth. Strongly urged him. So could you imagine that conversation? Now, Paul, after all, he is a huge identity in the early Christian church. And, you know, the fruit of his work is all over the place. So imagine Paul, Apollos, I need you to go to Corinth and sort out some issues. I need you to head there with the brothers and deal with some problems there. And Apollos saying, yeah, Paul, um, mate, I'd love to go there. I know they've been divided between you and me, and I know it needs dealing with. But mate, I've got some priorities here in, where, in doing the work of the Lord right where I am. So sorry, buddy, I'll go, but not right now. That's not a gospel issue, is it? And so Paul, see, he doesn't force the issue and he doesn't complain about it. He might not agree, but he demonstrates unity in the work of the Lord in how he interacts with Apollos. And this unity in that work, it extends outside of Corinth to other churches. The collection of the money that's to be sent to the church in Jerusalem, as I said, it's an example of, of unity, similar to the financial support that will extend to Paraka for a time. The receiving and the sending of people in and out of Corinth, an example of unity in the work of the Lord, just like the 70 we sent out last week. And we rejoice in that, that we can support the work of the Lord going on in another part of our city, working together in unity. Because just like Teddy Sheehan, we've got this role to fill, each of us doing the work of the Lord and supporting the work of the Lord to build each other up, to be stronger followers of Jesus, to tell people who don't know him all about him. And we do it together, just as it says here in verses 13 and 14. Guarding what we know to be true, that God sent his son to pay the price for us to be with God. Firm in our belief our belief that there is forgiveness and life through Jesus. And strong, standing up to the cost and doing everything in love. After all, God loved us so much, he sent his son, and we demonstrate that love by playing our part in the work of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your plan to save through trust in your Son and for making us participants in that plan. Father, help us to act in love and to support each other as we do your work. 
And Father, we pray that through us, you might bring many to know the truth and you would encourage and sustain us, even as it may cost us in all of these activities. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.